People, three quick things you can do to support me and support the Value Economics Podcast. Number one, subscribe to the Value Economics Podcast. Number two, leave a five-star rating if we deserve it. Number three, if we deserve it further, leave a review. Something nice, something mean, whatever you value. I don't care. Let's get into the show. Everybody's got to Value Economics Podcast. Six million ways to die. Choose one. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Value Economics Podcast. My name is Sam LaCrosse, and I can certainly dig the vibe today because I am here with the lovely, the beautiful, the wonderful Miss Michelle Brown. Michelle, how are you doing today? I'm doing incredible. Um, I feel like this is a little backwards. I'm in Los Angeles and it's raining, but I love the rain. So I'm very excited. Um, just in the house, warm, getting to have this amazing conversation with you. So I'm doing amazing. How are you? I am, I am doing well. I'm doing well. I think we're we're kind of, it's interesting because we were talking a little bit before this. I feel like we're in very similar head spaces and mind spaces, but we're walking, I think, very different paths and doing a lot of really different, really cool things. And so it's kind of interesting to meet people on the same trajectory, but also kind of see like where your mind is, where your head at, where your head is at, where my head is at throughout all these things. And I think you are the only person that has like deliberately eschewed the California weather and says that you like the rain, <laughs> not like the 70 and sunshine that I hear from everybody out in Cali. I've never been out in California before, but I hear it's great from everything else. So I, I think you're the first person that's ever told me that. So it's already starting out very, very unique, which is really cool. Very unique because I'm I'm technically from the Bay Area, which is Northern California and Northern I, California gets a lot of rain. So it kind of is, a. I live in Los Angeles now, but it's a little taste of home. So yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Very cool. So I think that's where I wanted to kind of start out with Michelle, because you and I have known each other actually for about, I would say, like the better part of two years now. I think we met in the summer of 22, I believe. And so in Miami, Florida, of all places. And so on the on the opposite side of the country from where you currently are. And so I think we've known each other for a while, but I really don't know much about kind of the I'm a big fan of origin stories. And I don't really know really the origin story of Michelle Brown. So kind of just to get a real big level set at the start of this. So really, who is the woman who's sitting in front of me today? Where are you coming from? How did you grow up? So kind of just fill me in with whatever you're comfortable filling me in with, if you don't mind. Well, definitely the woman sitting in front of you today was not always how she's been. <laughs> so um, I'm from the Bay Area. Like I mentioned, um, I was very blessed. My parents did everything they could to keep me in a private school and have a private education because the schools in the Bay Area are not really the best. Mm -hmm. um, and so I really had I had both my parents. They weren't married, but they were together most of my life. Um, and then had the opportunity to go to San Diego State for college, um, which was incredible. Um, I feel like college is really about the experience, right? It's a contained environment to grow up. That's what it is, right? At 17, I was moving away from home, had my own, you know, place. Um, essentially, I had um, financial aid at the, like in the beginning, and then I had to work my whole way through college. So it was that getting a job, paying my own bills, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but college, I think the most beautiful thing I took away was just like trying things that you've never tried before, right? Again, it's a contained, safe environment to just fail. So um, 
I started dancing in college, which was like a complete different route for me. It was a majorette team. It's called SDSU Diamonds. So they're like the girls who do the slow dances in the in the stands, like at the oh, football cool. games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and I just really practiced. Like I was not, the, I was a hooper in high school. So went like completely opposite. Yeah, yeah. It just showed me that anything I put my mind to, I literally can do. And I was willing to put the work in with the right mentor, the right coach, the right work ethic. You can literally do anything you want to do. So after college, just a bunch of trial and error. I did e-commerce. I got my manicuring license. I served, I paid off all my debt, like was just kind of going through life um was blessed to get mentors around 23 and they were like a healthy black married couple which was new for me because again my parents weren't married and none of my friends really had married parents um and so seeing them in like a unified partnership I had never seen before and it just like turned a light bulb on for me. I was just like, wow, like again, another look at you can become and create anything that you want for your life. And that was the first time that I really realized that I did want marriage, um, that I realized that like kind of started labeling what are my values? What are my beliefs? Who do I want to be as a person? And actually making that an intentional thing, not just going through the motions of what people tell you you are or what society tells you you should be and just kind of like creating that for my own. So I would say the past like seven, eight years has really just been me on my growth journey and learning all the facets of Michelle. That's awesome. That's super cool. And I think that that's, I think it's really relatable too, because I think that there is a lot of, this is actually what a lot of my work is kind of geared towards is that having really that sovereign presence about the way that you govern your own life and you govern yourself. And I think you alluded to that as I think a lot of people really figure out in terms of your college story, in terms of that was really the first time you could really tap in with who you were and really see how you could make your own life instead of living the life that a lot of other people who you saw for good or for bad really lived their lives. You had a choice, you had a decision you had to make in a lot of ways. And I wanted to stay a little bit anchored back before I really project forward. So you had um, both parents in your life, which is awesome. They weren't together, but they were both. So maybe I always like to kind of see what, because I believe your environment shapes more of us than we'd like to maybe give ourselves credit for at the time in terms of where we kind of see from a lot of different places. It certainly has with mine. So maybe, I don't know if you want to tackle both of your parents at once, or you want to go maybe with, uh, you know, some things you took from your mom, some things you took from your dad, maybe of both or kind of going into there, but I'd love to kind of see what either that relationship was like, or kind of, you know, some things you took from them, some things you learned from them and really kind of how they've impacted you in a lot of ways as you've kind of grown through this growth process that you just described? Such a good question. Wow. Um, I think my parents, what I took away the most was my mom was incredibly patient and she never made me feel bad about making mistakes. And I do think with parenting, you have to know your child because every child is different and requires a different method of teaching. But with my mom, I think she saw that I was already very hard on myself and I put a lot of pressure on myself to do well, get good grades in school, perform athletically, get into a good college. Like I already put so much pressure on myself. Like I hated when I got it, got a B, you know what I mean? Like I hate it. So um, whenever I made mistakes or messed up, my mom was always just very solution oriented. She was like, well, how are we going to fix it? What are we going to do? Like, let's just move forward. So I was very grateful for that because she never 
beat me up or made me feel bad. She helped me develop that solution mindset of just like everything is fixable. You're always going to spill milk. You're always going to break the glass. You're always like, it happens. What are we doing next? Mm -hmm. um, my father, I'm just very grateful that I had such a healthy relationship with my father. I think it's grown probably over the last like five years. It's interesting because once my parents officially split, because they were kind of on and off throughout my whole childhood, yep. um, they officially split, I want to say like five, six years ago. And it forced us to have more of a relationship because when you're in high school and you just live in the house, you see each other and you don't necessarily have to put the time and effort or conversation into it. Mm -hmm. um, but once he was no longer in the house, it's like, no, we have to carve out time. We have to sit down. We have to talk. We have to really understand who we are. Right. And it's so I love getting to know your parents as adults. You know what I mean? When you're a kid, you think your parents are superheroes. They're incredible. And then you grow up, you make a thousand mistakes. You realize how hard this journey of life is. And then you can really take a step back and get to know your parents for people because they did make the best with what they had and whatever choice they wanted to make for your better interest. You know what I mean? Um, so my dad, I think I'm just very grateful that we've had more time to really like dive into his childhood and just like his relationship dramas and traumas, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Yeah. To really understand who my dad was as a man. Cause my dad is, is almost 80 years old. So like he was a defense attorney in a predominantly white arena. There was no other black people in that, you know, and just him paving his path and all that kind of stuff. So I think that's what I took away the most with both my parents. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. And I think, was it, what was the, I would say in terms of you had kind of a, you didn't have really a whole household in that sense because your parents did split up, but you did have a relationship with your mother or a relationship with your father. Did you notice a big difference? Because you said a lot of your friends that you grew up with did not have very much intact families. Did you notice kind of what was the like, did you notice any big difference in the way they kind of acted with their parents or the way that they kind of either kind of interacted with the world in terms of the intact household? Because I came from a very nucleic family structure and I know a lot of people weren't very blessed to have that in a lot of ways, but it seems like you kind of had like you had that, but you didn't really have that in a lot of ways where you still had, you know, the split, but you had a lot of people, but your parents weren't absent, it seems at all. They cared about you quite a bit. They really invested a lot in you and poured into you in a lot of ways, which I think is really cool. Did you notice anything that was really different from a lot of the ways that your friends interacted with their parents versus the way you did? I won't say it was a huge difference between me and my friends, because like all my friends, we all had different unique scenarios like one of my friends you know she had both her parents but her dad lived in Atlanta my other parent my other friend had both her parents but both of them were divorced and remarried so she had two married households um so that's why I say it was unique when I met a happily married black couple later in my life because that was the first time I kind of saw a unified example of that so it wasn't too much of a difference between me and my friends because we were all just navigating those kind of weird relationships with our parents. Um, but it was when I got older and I realized, oh, healthy relationships and marriages do exist. They can exist. You know, unfortunately, like a lot of us had very strong single moms, right? Which is like that blessing and a curse. Of course, your mom was amazing and held it down. But what can I do differently to not have that? Right. Like, I, I don't want to be a single mom. So or you, or you don't necessarily have to. 
You're right. So how can I, you know, just potentially do things differently to have a different trajectory? You know? Sure. sure. No, I think that's awesome. And I think the one thing I also want to focus on here in a lot of ways is that I want to, I always like to kind of get, I ask all my guests this kind of like inside the home and then outside the home in terms of, you know, people you looked up to in terms of aspirationally. So I think a lot of people in terms of a lot of their first role models and your, and I don't think you're any different from this were people in their family, their parents, their older siblings, their grandparents, their aunts, uncles, whoever else. So who were some of the, if you had any, who were some of the major role models in your life outside of your family? This could be people in like, you know, either down the street or in the culture, like either singers or actors or business people or whoever else. And I, you know, kind of a two-parter here. So who, one, if you had them, who were they? And two, what did you admire so much about those people that you wanted to emulate when you got to a position where you could start making your own life? Mm. Uh, the number one that comes to mind is my older sister because we are 11 years apart. So she was always kind of like a second mom to me. Um, I think what I wanted to emulate, you have amazing questions, by the way. Um, <laughs> what I would want to emulate was she was just so cool to me. She had everything yeah. kind of like figured out, right? Like my sister was gorgeous inside and out. Um, and so like anytime she picked me up from school, everybody was like, who's that? You know what I mean? Yeah, I like, yeah. <laughs> hey, I want to be her. Why does she get all this attention and love? Like what did, the did heck? You, did, did, okay, I have to ask an interject. Did, she, did anyone think that she was like your mom, your actual mom? Oh, sure. Oh, I'm sure. Okay, I was going to say that was something. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. That's hilarious. People always thought she was my mom because my mom was older. So people thought my mom was my grandma and my sister was my mom all I the see. time. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, that's yeah. So I think I just wanted to emulate like she had, you know, cause she sang, she would do performances and was just like, just so cool in culture. Like you said, I think Bay area culture was very much like, you know, parties, rapping, just like the immediate culture that you see you know so um she she was in that because when I was younger she was in her 20s her early 20s going, yeah. doing college trying jobs like in the height and prime of her her youth you know so um definitely with her and then really like my family is small I only had my mom my dad and my sister like my, my immediate family with me so my friends really were my family so it was kind of whatever my friends were doing, I was doing. I was blessed that I always had friends with good heads on their shoulders. So like, you know, we all did relatively well in school. We all played sports. We all, you know, did extra committees and clubs at school. You know what I mean? So I was blessed that I had good people around me, but they were definitely my main influences. Yeah, that's awesome. I think it's like, and kind of like our point about like really environment mattering and kind of, you know, you looking up to the right people in terms of everything. And I think that depending on what that answer is, I think that influences so much of what we do and kind of where we kind of end up going. And I think from that standpoint, you and I were talking a little bit before about, you know, I know, I know, obviously, like I said, I don't know you in depth a lot, but I think in terms of everything, a lot of stuff that you post, I remember quite literally, like, I think the first conversation we ever had down in Miami when we were first talking, I don't know if this is, uh, you have a lot of tattoos or some tattoos, but I think this is uh, tattooed on yourself or maybe it might've been your screensaver on your phone. You definitely have a very deep and personal relationship with God in a lot of ways. And I always like to ask people about this. So 
where did really that start in terms of your walk with God and your personal relationship with him? And where are you currently at with it? You've talked about it a lot. Like you said, you kind of really, you reference it a lot. I'm very glad as a fellow Christian to, re- to know that you guys are, you're walking in that way as well. So what is your overall perspective on your faith? Like, what is it, what does it mean to you? When did it really start for you? And what is it, I would say overall, what does it mean to you in your life? So I did not grow up in a God-fearing household. My mom was actually Buddhist. My dad was like grew up Christian, but he didn't really practice it. Like he didn't, you know, go to church, read the Bible. He just, you know, was going through life. So that wasn't something that he taught me necessarily. My first interaction with God was going to a Catholic school. I went to a Catholic middle school and I went to a Catholic high school. Catholicism is a lot. So if I'm being honest, it wasn't (laughs) the best first impression with God because it was just more so like, again, there's many rules. It's very strict. There's no room for error. There is to be like, at least this is the way it was kind of preached to me, right? And the environment that it was. Um, So my first run-in wasn't really attractive. Um, I did recognize and understand a higher source. I feel like when you're um, kind of going through your walk, people, you can call it whatever you want to call it. You know, the divine, a higher power, the universe, yeah. whatever. You finally get to that place where you're like, it's God. It's yeah, God. It, it, <laughs> it all rests at the one certain point. At the end. Yeah, I, I, I totally. Like you can yeah. label it however you want. Whatever to. you want, but, right. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I definitely was aware of that higher power and like being connected to source because some things are just unexplained you know what I mean and you can't put it in a box so um I I was aware of that in college one of my best friends who also helped me dance and make the team was my best friend Isiana and her and her family were Christian and they just had a light about their family my best friend she was amazing they took it they took me in as if I was family because me and her were super close and they just were like just amazing people, right? And I think that is what we all are supposed to be, right? Lights of God to be attractive to what people want to know, why are you like this? You know what I mean? And that's what they did for me. I was just like, why are you guys like this? You guys have so much love in your family, so much understanding, so much grace, so much forgiveness. Um, You love people even when they hurt you. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, okay, I really like this. And so me and her started like, in college, we would have little Bible studies or pray together or just like little baby steps. And then it just kind of took off from there. The more I studied, the more I prayed, the more, cause I'm really big on like, you have to implement it, right? So any religion, I, I'm not a big religious person because to me, religions are all, a group of people decided this works. Right. And then you have various versions of that. You know, everybody is like, well, if you do it like this, you'll get there. If you do it like this, you'll get there. If you do it like this, you'll get there. Yeah. But the commonality of all of them is be a good human being. You know what I'm saying? Love people. And when I was reading the Bible, it wasn't about, oh, this is the Bible and take it for a word. It was just like there's always principles and principles can be applied to any circumstance. Right. And when I would apply these principles to my life, it worked. You know what I'm saying? I would get the response that I was looking for or heal my mended relationships or grow myself as an individual. And I was like, wow, 
maybe this God thing works. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, maybe yeah. prayer works. Maybe submitting yourself to a higher power works, you know? So that's kind of where I'm at now. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I think that there is, uh, as, a, as a fellow um, Catholic uh, growing up person, I can totally attest to all that. So that was totally fair. And I think that there, it, it is kind of a lot. And I think that there is kind of, it's always like, it's never, the path to God is never a straight line. I don't think it's always, you know, pothole going out, taking a right turn, swerving back, doing a U-turn, whatever you want to do. But you always, I think you put it very, very eloquently when you said you all end up at the same place, regardless, you have to kind of acknowledge it at the end of the day and really see where everything fits in at, you know, the end of all that we were talking about. And so that kind of leads me to where I wanted to go in with something we were discussing earlier on. And I remember this because I knew I wanted to ask you this question specifically after I texted you to come on the show, because I remember vividly you having, like, I was, I think you were one of the few people that gets up maybe earlier than I do. So I really, really respect that one, first and foremost, you get up really early. And so, um, and, and two, I saw one of your Instagram stories where you were just, I think it might've been like three whiteboards of like, this is my one, five, 10, 20 year, like, and you had like 20 bullet points for like everything underneath it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, th this girl's crazy. And so like, she like was going through everything where I was like, you know, and you had like specific things down, you had numbers, you had all these sorts of things. And I was like, wow, this is really, really awesome. And so you're also... I've known this about you for a long time, but I think that kind of specific instance really articulates it very well. You're also an incredibly ambitious person in multiple ways. You have that kind of burning inside of you. I think a lot of people who are listening at this point can really probably tell that about you. So what I wanted to ask and kind of really springboard into this was, are you a naturally ambitious person? Have you always kind of been like this? And really, where does that all come from in terms of how you want to power yourself in your life and why you want to strive for the things you want to strive for? Oh, all of these questions get so deep. Um, naturally ambitious. I think I always, it's so funny. I'm rereading the four agreements. Um, yeah. The, and in the intro, he's talking about how, you know, we're basically taught the world's um, rules, the planet's dreams as soon as we come into the world. So it's tough because naturally ambitious, maybe I always, I never... I always like to do good. No, I always love the praise, right? From my parents or getting the student of the month award, right? So I think growing up, you then have to realize, okay, what is it truly that I want and am aiming for versus again, the accolades and praise that come with certain things, right? Mm -hmm. So I'll say I naturally always wanted to do good. I naturally always kind of pushed myself for sure. Um, you know, I took AP classes, like I always did sports or committees and things on the side, but, um, I've had to tailor what my ambition is really for. So I'll say now I feel like the ambition comes from, again, that relationship with God of like understanding I was put here for a very specific purpose and a very specific reason, like God made me look a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way, have certain gifts, talents, desires, visions, all for a very specific reason. And if I do not fulfill that in the time that he's given me, what did I do? What yeah. did I do here? So I think that ambition is so much different now because, um, you know, even with my board, like I take a lot of time to make sure I'm 
in alignment with God, because it's easy for all of us to be like, I want to be a millionaire. I want to have a mansion. I want to travel the world. I want to drive this car. That's programming, right? Like if I'm being honest, I've never wanted a mansion. It's a huge house. It's very cold. Who's clean, cleaning it all. Everyone's very far. Like that's just not something yep. I would want. You know what I mean? But I've had to sit back and really assess what does life look like for Michelle? You know what I mean? Um, so that is where it's definitely been a journey and I've had to have patience with myself to like rewire and really like, okay, what are the things people tell me I'm good at? What are the things I am good at? What are the things I enjoy that I don't enjoy? Like, what would I do if I was not getting paid? You know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I think that answers your question, but that's oh, it, kind of, yeah. yeah. You know, it definitely does. And I think from from that standpoint too, what I wanted to ask kind of as a follow-up is that you obviously have all of this stuff very organized and you have plans and you have things that you want to do. But kind of to your earlier point too, it's it's a lot of stuff. And so I think a lot of people also have the problem of whether they're, I think something that I see a lot with a lot of people who are very ambitious is that they kind of do like the shotgun method where they kind of spray it all everywhere and they end up burning out. But you, every time I see you acting a certain way or you kind of posting something or doing whatever, you are always coming with a defined sense of like energy and you want to get this done and you really have a purpose behind what you're doing. So do you have any techniques for not burning out or kind of doing something where you can kind of keep focus or kind of recharging or whatever? Or kind of do you are you always this energizer bunny type of person that you need to kind of keep going and going and going and just really never kind of stop in that way? Well, I mean, I'm human. We all have our waves. I've definitely gotten into funks and just places where I feel like uh, we talked about it before, where you're like, there's the busy of just kind of going through life yeah. and then the busy yeah. of actually, you know, reaching purpose and um, calling, you know what I mean? And the times that I was in my biggest funk was because it was like, where am I going? What am I doing? Why am I doing it? I feel busy. I feel tired every day I'm getting up, but what am I, where am I going? I literally do not know. So I think the biggest things that have helped me now is you have to learn yourself. And I feel like so many people don't know who they are. They don't know what their values are. They don't know what their gifts are. They don't know um, why they do anything that they do. And you have to spend time with yourself. You have to understand why was I put here? And of course, that's a lifelong journey. You don't just get a word from God like, this is it, uh, and go. You know what I'm saying? And uh, sometimes right. if it's not the thing, it's the thing that takes you to the thing. You know what I mean? But it's always being willing to try. So I think, you know, for me, the energy, like, I'm so energized now because I'm finally at peace. And I say this all the time, but like, once you find peace, there is no going back. I love who I am. I love what I stand for. I love when I fail. I love when I'm not perfect. I love when I can apologize. You know what I mean? So, and once you have that, it's like, okay, the world is really my oyster. I can do whatever I want to do um, because I know the character and integrity that I have. I know what I say yes to. I know what I say no to. I know what's in alignment with me. I know what's not. I know what makes sense to pursue. I know what makes sense that doesn't, you know what I mean? And it makes things very clear. So um, I'm energized now because now I'm even at the new level where it's just like, I do have visions. And now I just get to the go through the process of actually bringing them to fruition. So sure. I think being positive, obviously recharging yourself, like 
you know, I try to spend as much time outside as possible, which is hard because I work from home and on a computer, but just like always reconnecting with nature, being around people that you love and filling yourself up. That's the most important thing that you can do. So I agree. I agree. And I think this is kind of a natural segue into one of your other defining traits. And I think you kind of have said it without saying it in a good way, which is your confidence. And I think I and a lot of other people, and I think you see yourself as a very, very confident person, which I think is a natural extension of that ambition that you have for yourself. So you have, whether it's kind of the way that you present yourself, the way that you, you know, you command a stage, the way that you talk to someone in conversation, the way that we're even doing this now, you have kind of, and maybe this is kind of a confluence of the ambitious part of you and the part of you that's at peace. I think confidence might be a natural birth from that in some ways. And so that's, I think that's really, really interesting to kind of explore that. And so is that where that sense of confidence comes from with about you? Because you have a swagger about yourself, but it's not a, it's clearly not a cockiness. I don't think anyone thinks that you're like a cocky showy person. You kind of want, you are a person that really does it in a way that's very, it's a humble, it's a humble swagger. I think I'll put it that way. So where does, uh, where does that come from? Do you think about yourself? Again, the confidence was built. Uh, I think you're on point with like, it's come in through the ambition and everything else. Um, the confidence that I have now is trusting myself. Um, which took me a long time to build, but just trusting myself that I'll figure it out, trusting myself that I know who I am um, and trusting myself that if I mess up, I can pivot, you know what I mean? Um, So confidence now to me, again, it goes in with loving yourself. It goes in with knowing what your mission is and who you are and being proud to speak about it. And that takes time. That takes practice. Like, it's so funny because I was thinking about it the other day. Like I've hosted shows now, you know, I've hosted panels. I'll do podcasts like this. And people commend me all the time on like, oh my God, Michelle, you're a great communicator. You speak so well. I used to like, whenever I would speak about anything, especially if it was sentimental or from the heart, I would cry. Like within three seconds, I would start crying. I could not get a sentence out. I would be like, I'm so grateful. And then just like start crying. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it took me years to get through that. And it was just because I'm very, I'm an empath. I'm very in tune. And so if I was talking about anything real, I would get emotional. And it was just like so many emotions and words coming to my mind. I couldn't get it out, you know? Um. So I think it's the confidence just comes with the practice, with the consistency and just knowing who you are. That's amazing. I, I really, really love that. And so would you say if someone came to you and said, you know, I, and someone does come to you after you're on this pot, hopefully this podcast or some other podcast or some other, or after a Stefan speak show, which we'll get to in a couple of seconds. And they said, you know, wow, like, I really love the way that you conduct yourself. I really love the way that you kind of command that certain type of presence and you do it so with the empathy where you're not overbearing, you're not charging down someone's throat, you're not doing with whatever. What I think a lot of people have bad solutions to the confidence problem. It's either, like you said earlier, go buy a nice car or go buy a a suit or a watch or whatever you want to do. And that will give you confidence. Well, I think the actual, the exact opposite will happen when that happens, because it's not coming from inside of you. It's coming from what you possess and what an external source is telling you about yourself. So Mm -hmm. if someone came to you and said, you know, Michelle, I really want to work on my confidence. What would you tell that person to do? Because I would say, and I'm working backwards as I'm talking it out with you, is like, because I would say you have to learn yourself, right? So how do you learn yourself? Well, the way I always look at it is if none of this man-made stuff was here, 
what would it look like? You know what I mean? Like, if I didn't have all these clothes that I could go buy in a store, what would I think about myself? If I couldn't go live in a specific house or have a certain job with this certain title and level of accomplishment, how would I describe myself? Who would I be? You know what I mean? And you really have to strip away everything to get to the root of who you are. And when I thought about it, it was like, okay, well, I want to be somebody. And this is me. Everyone is allowed to have their own different definition of who they want to be. And I think that's the important thing. Like, it's yeah. not to be like, oh, I, I like her. I want to be like her. It's like, no. Okay. I personally love the feeling I get of being a safe space for people. Right. I love when people feel like they can come talk to me and I don't judge them or, you know, make them feel bad about themselves, which again, I was not always good at this. Mm -hmm. So when, when I would talk to people and they felt judged, I was like, Oh no, I, I don't want to be that person. How do I become a safe space for this individual. And that is life teaching me, right? I don't like the feeling I'm getting when my best friend is telling me, wow, Michelle, that was a little harsh. You're kind of being judgmental right now. It's like, wow, I don't like that. I don't want to do that to somebody that I love. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you really have to allow life to teach you and be aware, you know, and that I always call it the mask. Like you have to get that mask off. You know, we're yeah. in the world where again, everything is told of how we're supposed to be and act. You need to read. You have to listen to different opinions about things. You have to rewire your brain and then choose. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. I listened to a lot of podcasts, a lot of stuff. I was like, nope, don't like that. A lot of stuff. Oh, <laughs> I do like this. Let me research it a little bit. Right. Mm -hmm. When I was like, oh, healthy marriages do exist. That was a new concept for me. Right. Let me research right. this. Let me read different marriage books. Let me watch different marriage podcasts. Okay. This is what a healthy marriage could look like for me. Well, maybe I want that. Actually, I do want that. You know what I mean? And then you start putting in steps. Okay. Well, I got to work backwards. Well, what would a healthy wife look like? Do I have those traits? I have to work on those. So yeah. That's what yeah. I'm saying. I think that's awesome. That's a great answer. And so I want to kind of now pivot from more of like the intangible to more of the tangible stuff. So um, tell me about Black on the Block. I know that you're a big, uh, you're a big person involved. I actually looked this up before. I thought you were one of the, and for, forgive me if I'm, I'm getting this incorrect, and please correct me if I'm not. You are not one of the founders, but you were very involved in the organization of itself. I just saw that you guys were on the Jennifer Hudson show, which I had no idea, which is super cool because Jennifer Hudson's really, really cool. So you guys have been on her show. You guys have been around everywhere else. You guys are, I'm down in Austin. You guys have been up in Dallas a couple of times. We, I, you know, a lot of our mutual friends are up there. And so you're doing a lot of events in California. So just, I really, I know kind of the essence of what it's about from the things that you have posted, the things that our mutual friend Taji has posted and a couple of people who have got, done a bunch of things have posted about it, but Tell me kind of the inception of the idea, what it's about, and kind of really what you guys are trying to accomplish with that. So you're absolutely correct. So Black on the Block is a pop-up market festival. We feature Black entrepreneurs and business owners. So our market will have anywhere from like 110 to like 130 Black business owners from everything you could think of, whether it be food, you know, candles, art, just anything. So um but we curate a festival. So we have a DJ, we'll have a bar, we'll have activations, um, panels, all kinds of things. So um, Shar and Lainey, they are sisters. They are the founders. They both were small business owners and 
would go to different pop-up markets, flea markets around LA, but they noticed there weren't a lot for specifically the Black community. So they were like, hey, let's just throw one ourselves. It was Juneteenth two and a half years ago now. And um, the first one went really well. And they were like, well, let's just keep doing it. And so they did it once a month. And now here we are. So I came in on the second one. I was just a friend. I came to volunteer. I was like, I love what you guys are doing. I'll just help. And it started kind of growing so quickly. We needed a team. And I was I was there willing to help, loved the what they were doing for the community and how it affected everyone involved from the attendees to the vendors to, you know, just anyone who got to experience it that I wanted to be there for the long. That's awesome. It's only two and a half years old. I had no idea. I thought it was that you guys and you guys have what, like 120,000 Instagram followers or something crazy yeah, like that? something like that, because it'll be three years this Juneteenth. Yeah, right. Cause, oh, because oh, that makes a lot of sense. OK, so Juneteenth will be three years. That is crazy how quickly it's. Why do you think what do you attribute the growth to in terms of people wanting like obviously because you have created something that's obviously in demand. You guys have a lot of other things that are going. And I think the interesting thing is it's kind of it's it's a you know, a, a gathering of entrepreneurs and business owners, but it's not just that. Like it's yeah. a lot of things in terms of like, it's a, it's an event. I think that's the perfect word you use to describe it. There's music, there's art, there's a lot of other things. It's like a cultural celebration of so many things that are going on there. And so I think that's definitely a part of it, but I, I wanna, I'm curious about what you think, cause this is like rocket growth, like 120,000 followers in three years is like nothing to nothing to sneeze at at all. So what do you attribute the growth to? I think it's the inside out, right? So with Shar and Lainey, both of them being small business owners previously, they knew what they would have wanted, right? What yeah. platform would have given them the ability to thrive and succeed. I think what I love about Shar and Lainey is they love being able to collaborate and highlight other individuals. So, you know, again, we're here to serve, right? So I think that the community that we have built, we're all here to serve each other. How do we serve the vendors? How does the vendors serve the attendees? How do the attendees serve the vendors? You know what I mean? And our community is so strong. Like to me, I attribute success to people that continually come back, vendors that have been with right. us since day one, attendees that have been with us since day one. Like that is the real community. So you know, and anyone who has joined along the ride, they just continue to build it, you know, but um, the heart and soul, like our vendors, we take care of them. They take care of us. Right. Yeah. So it's like, it's always funny because on event days, like when we have vendor load-ins, like you can always tell who the new vendors are, right? Like if a vendor kind of has an attitude or gets snappy, cause we're all people, you know, it's yeah. early in the yeah. morning. We're yeah. all about to have a 14 hour day. Like it's a lot <laughs> of happening. You know what I mean? Yeah. And other vendors will jump in, you know what I'm saying? And just like kind of show them the ropes and help talk them down or whatever. Like we're all a family because we're all here to win. We're all here to succeed. So um, I truly think the heart of Black on the Block and the community aspect that we've built um, is truly a safe space. It's just a safe space to be yourself, you know, and just thrive in whatever your arena and aspect is. You know, I think even for myself, Shar and Lainey have allowed me to thrive because I didn't know what I was doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I didn't know how I could add value to them. I've never thrown a market or a festival. And again, this goes back to knowing yourself and what your strengths are. And I love volunteering. I love 
wellness. I love mental health. I love physical health. And they've allowed me to bring that. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And do and thrive in what I love. And so even just getting to do that and add my little Michelle, Michelle Flair in Black on the Block, everybody gets to do that. So now you have everybody's flair in this amazing environment. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And I would say this is made like because it might be hard to predict because it has grown so fast and you guys have such a recognizable brand attached to it now. Like I think everyone kind of can really recognize where like there's real momentum behind this. And this is clearly one of those things. So it's might be hard to project, but what is your personal goal with Black on the Block as it grows? Like where do you want to see the movement grow in this? There are a certain layer of like impact you want to provide or things that you want to do because you're in in multiple states now in California and in Texas. And I'm sure you that wants to probably grow, I would imagine, in the future and highlight more people that are wanting to come to these things and everything like that, which is awesome. But in terms of your personal ambitions and where you would personally like to see it grow, what would that be for you? So my department is truly, like you said, impact, right? So like one of the things I'm currently planning on right now is a wellness event. Um, so being able to like bring mental, physical, spiritual, financial health to our black and brown community, right? So black on the block is incredible because we highlight all these business owners, people get to come and shop black, know where it's coming from. But I also want, what else can attendees leave with that they don't have to pay for? You know what I'm saying? Um, they get to come support with their dollar, their hard on arm money, all these amazing vendors. What else do they get to take? Just cause again, here to serve. So for me, I'm also all about like our activation. So like, again, I've brought, you know, different sound bath and uh, sound bath activations, work, uh, affirmation workshops, um, mental health panels. Like I want to bring a lot of resources to the black and brown community. I want you to be able to come to black on the block and you can also find your black um, physical therapist, your black psychiatrist, your black, you know, credit repair, your black, like anything. And not that it's just black, but obviously that is the community. That's the theme, right. Yeah. So just really being able to find resources. So like with the wellness event, it's really to find trainers, different workout methods in your area, products that are holistic, you know, recipe books that are specific for maybe women dealing with different health issues, like just a place that, you know, I can come here and find something that I need that I'm going through. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's really like my biggest goal. That's awesome. That's really, really cool. And it's super cool to see all that growth and just the, just the excitement behind it. I think it's really, really awesome to see just kind of really a brand really take hold and become a household name in a lot of ways. And having a friend like you being at the forefront of something like that is really, really awesome. So I love that. I want to pivot just a little bit to kind of something else, because I think you are getting more personal brand recognition, like Michelle Brown, the the woman is getting more brand recognition. I think a lot of that started from, I don't remember the podcast name, but you blew up on a very, very famous Instagram reel um, a couple, I don't even know if this is a couple months ago. This is in, in the past in some way. It was, it was kind of recent, kind of not recent, but it made the rounds on a lot of social media, got a lot of very, very hot takes from a lot of other people and a lot of things about it. And, and so like good in good ways and bad ways. And, you know, I think it was kind of your viral moment, hopefully your first of many viral moments that you had about kind of your opinion on modern relationships. And that's kind of a lot of what we touched in a lot of ways in general. You said, 
that has been a constantly evolving process as you have gotten older, as you have kind of seen different experiences, like you said, with your friend's family about seeing that happily married black couple that's been around for years, fostering a good family environment in contrast with your old one. So why, I want to ask about the clip first and forgive me for not remembering the, the two guys' names you were interviewing, but, and, and Phil, please, like name drop them, do whatever you want to do. But what was your feedback from the feedback to that clip? And why do you think it resonated with so, so much with people in both good and bad ways when it finally came out and started making the rounds everywhere? So one shout out to Lewis Bell. It was his podcast okay. Lewis Bell, and uh, Marcus Black was on there as well. He's a relationship coach and he's okay. married. They have a few children. Um, so he's he's in it as well. Um, I personally think the clip went viral because there's no one in my lane. And I say that in the sense of when I was going through my growth journey of Again, I'm, I was a woman who grew up in a predominantly single mom environment. Uh. The teaching is independent woman. I don't need a man. I could do it all by myself. Make sure you have your own. Like that is the mindset, yep. right? Yep. Um, I had to do a lot of retraining. And a lot of the women that I looked to were a lot older than me. So some of the women that I loved was like April Mason, Sarah Lena. She's not too much older than me, but she is like a little bit older. Um, so I think it was like, I didn't have any women to look to in my demographic, right? Yeah. In my demographic and my age range. So sometimes, of course, married women are very credible. You've been married for 40 years. You're definitely who we need to be taking advice to. But sometimes it's very hard to, picture myself married for 40 years when I can't even have a good first date. You know what I mean? Like, oh, like we're talking different languages, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I personally think the clip went viral because, you know, I'm a young woman sharing my perspective of marriage that it, it clashes, but it aligns at the same time. Like we're all yeah. trying to identify what does marriage mean now? Because marriage has meant so many things and healthy relationships have meant so many things throughout the years. So as someone who's had to rewire and think about it from, of course, my perspective, because everyone will have a different definition of marriage and what it means to them. But I think I think it went viral because it was just like, I said it. Not a lot of people yeah. say it. Right. And that was exactly my perception as well. Like you, you said the thing. And like everyone knows what the thing is, like it's kind of like a little bit elephant in the room analogy. And you, you, everyone knows the thing is is there, and they know that the thing has to be acknowledged. And I think, as someone who just wrote a book in, and I did like dip my toe into this kind of space a little bit with the last book I released, I, it is a wild place to enter into if you really want to. Like, and, and you and you know this probably more than most people because you've been in the throng of not only the online discourse, but in like a very heated part of it with that clip that you just released. And so there, what I kind of want to parlay this into is that there are a lot of conversations going on about relationships right now, like you said, in terms of marriage specifically, but I think relationships in general. And I think the internet has completely obliterated a lot of the constructive ones. And so from your perspective, what do you think from your personal journey and kind of observing these other role models that you've had recently come into your life and some other people either on the internet that are doing a healthy thing or kind of your own personal friend group or something, 
what do you think or what do you look for in a good relationship and why do you think that that's an important thing that people need to look at more seriously again it all goes back to you knowing yourself you cannot have a healthy relationship and bring someone else into your life and you do not know who you are so because most people don't know who they are they are going through the motions or at least that's what i like to call it you're going through the motions i like him he likes me we're just you know now we're gonna play house we're gonna go on dates you know what i'm saying we're probably being intimate and the ball's rolling now these are the things that we're supposed to do and i say it like that because i was stuck in it I thought that's how it works. You like me, I like you, let's do this. Okay, now let's take a step back after some failed relationships and understand, okay, why didn't it work? Where were we aligned? Where were we not aligned? So I think um, a lot of people on the internet that are talking about relationships, they're talking about circumstance and surface level things and not the root, right? So I'm very big on roots and byproducts. So a lot of people focus on byproducts of things and not the roots. So we're focused on 50-50, who's paying the bills? We're focused on, you know, are you attractive for your husband? We're focused on, um, does he make X amount of money? Um, Is she cooking and cleaning at home? Like all these byproducts of things. And we're not even talking about the root of who are you? Are you in alignment with your spouse? Have y'all made agreements and are now living those agreements out, right? Because- Every relationship is going to look different, but the only two people that matter is you and your spouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that's so good. That's so good. No wonder your clip went viral. You're very, very smart. <laughs> so so I, I, have, I have one more question on this and then I want to maybe kind of pivot into some oh, last two questions after this one. So um, following this, I'm actually very curious to get your perspective on this because like I said, I just wrote a book about men and about masculinity in a lot of ways. And so I've been in this mindset for quite a long time. I've had this original book idea for around like four years ago and I've been kind of chipping away at it ever since. And so you and I also kind of consequently, like coincidentally met through an organization, The Standard, where a lot of this stuff is discussed all the time, both with, I would say, with members internally as well as outside people like with you. And so, but I don't think it's in a very broad cultural context. So I want to get maybe a woman's perspective because a lot of guys obviously have opinions about women and women have opinions about men, but what would you describe a healthy femininity is in terms of like, what do you think that like, in term, I don't even know how to phrase it in terms of, I think healthy feminine is probably the best I can do. Like, what would you describe something like that as in terms of either the way you see yourself or the way that you aspire to be in a lot of ways? So The biggest thing I feel like I learned about femininity is we're free flowing. We're free flowing. We're very nurturing. We're very caring. We are a safe space. That is why, you know, we're moms, right? That's why, you know, the baby might cry and we know how to hold and nurture like internally instinct, you know what I mean? And not that every woman has to have that, or if you don't have that, you're not feminine. Like, no, I think those are just Again, it comes into studying who you are. Feminine traits is like, literally, I like to think of it as mother nature. You know what I mean? There's so many facets to her, um, but it truly is like, what is your best version of yourself? And to me, it truly is being that caring, nurturing, divine, free-flowing spirit, right? Um, Yeah, that's how I would describe it. Awesome. Awesome. Perfect. I think that's a really, really good answer. So thank you for that. And so 
really kind of two questions as we wrap up here. So referencing back to the whiteboards and all of the the million things you seemingly wrote, wrote on those things. So what is next for you? And I would say kind of what can people really expect in terms of what you want to do either, you know, either publicly or with Black on the Block or with some of these other things. And you've also hosted, you've now hosted a couple events for our guy, Stefan Speaks, which is a massive, massive accomplishment. You have the relationship with him. You have the relationship with his audience now. So you have really a, your hands in a lot of different pots. And so you have a lot of different ways you can go with a lot of things. And I think you're balancing it quite well. And so what's really, I, that's kind of my question. Like really, what is next for you? Like, where do you want to see yourself end up in the next couple of moves that you end up making? So like I said, I kind of already touched on Black on the Block. So that will grow and do its thing. I really just want to collaborate. I love collaborating with other people. I think everybody has so much value to share and I want to help bring a platform to them that they can share the same way you are. You know what I mean? So um, I think with Black on the Block, that's the biggest thing. My wellness event, I'm very much so looking forward to. I just, I've had it in my head for years and I just want to get it out. So yeah. getting that out will be amazing. Um Personally, I have had, I do want to grow my YouTube channel. I'm, if I'm being transparent, I don't know 100% what that'll look like. I have a couple of things in mind that again, I'm just trying to get out. I think the biggest thing that I'm focused on this year is just being obedient. And by obedient, I mean, when God places something on your heart, you just do it. And when I say he places it on your heart, you know, it's on your heart because it doesn't go away. Right. right? So right. Like the wellness event I've had on my mind for probably two and a half years. You know oh, what I mean? Yeah, it's like, yeah. you know, and at first you're like, yeah, yeah, that sounds good. Like I'll do it another time or when the I have the wheel runs and you kind of keep on the, yeah, right, right. But you know, it's on your heart because it never goes away. So I think I'm also very open to whatever God has for me. Even within my job, I've been able to, I've been a manager the past couple of years. I'm getting opportunities to grow within my company. So I'm just looking to sh like walk through any door that God continues to open. Um, so definitely, I think the main things to look out for me is my YouTube channel. I do hope to host and create more panels and speaking things because that's what I love to do. I love communicating um, more podcasts and all that kind of stuff on the way. But I think really like I'm in the heart of finding it too. Like it's not about my YouTube channel making me all this money and I want to go on book tours. Like, I don't know. I just know he told me to put out a couple episodes and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to see where else he leads me to go. So yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So we have a closing question on this podcast that I ask every, every single guest and it's in the name uh, or tradition of the name of the show. So um, I know this has been like the Sam Lacrosse deep cuts, like B-side Drake track for like the whole time. So maybe one more deep question before I let you go. Um, okay. What do you value the most and why? I value relationships the most and relationships being with God, with myself and with anybody that really comes into my life. Um, there are obviously like hierarchies to that, you know what I'm saying, in terms of like your family, your friends, um, my boyfriend, things like that. But it truly is like we are here to be in relationship with other people. And I love people. I love getting to know who people are, what they struggle with. My best friends always joke with me because like in my free time, I love to unpack people's problems. <laughs> That's what I like to do. I'm like, so yeah. what are you going through? How are you getting through that? Like, you know, um, but that's truly what I love. So I, I love it the most because that's how we connect. Um, you know, 
even like with men and women, it's yin and yang. The more we learn about each other, the more we flow with each other. So mm -hmm. I would just say why? Because we were built to be in relationship. No one is happy by themselves. You know what I'm saying? And not even happy. It's not even about your emotion. You were not built to be alone. You just weren't. He wouldn't have put all these people here if you were meant to be alone. You know? So, yeah. Well, Michelle, this is really, really fun. I really appreciate you coming on. I, I, I learned so much from listening to you and I know a lot of people are going to get a lot of value out of this. And so I, I want to just really just thank you at the end for really being so open, so honest and so willing with your time. I know we had some kind of chaos before coming on. So I apologize again about that. But I think that there is um, a lot to be garnered from a conversation like this. And I think that you, as always, have done a very, very good job, my friend. So just thank you for coming on and blessing my platform. I really, really appreciate it. And thank you, Sam. I just really appreciate you even giving me your time, your platform, asking me incredible questions, which have made me think and go deeper. So I just <laughs> love what you're doing and you wanting to showcase and highlight other people because that is you serving and being a man of God. So thank you for your efforts in this world. I appreciate that, Michelle. And to everyone watching and listening, thank you very much. Uh, turn in for another uh, Value Economics Weekly this week. And until then, own the day, open your mind, and we'll see you guys next time.